Welcome in to the 48 Minutes Podcast by Belief, where you stay up to date in 48 on all things NBA. I'm Ross Geiger, joined alongside Bruce Bernstein of Pure Hoops Media and World B, Michael Freer. This is episode number 29, the Paul Silas episode, as Paul wore number 29 for seven of his first eight seasons in the NBA. Bruce, how do you feel about Paul Silas being tonight's uh, episode honoree? The very first NBA game I ever went to was in November of 1966, the Celtics against the St. Louis Hawks. Paul Silas was on that team, and I guess he was probably wearing number 29 that night. Of course, he ended up becoming a beloved Boston Celtics, but I'm always, always happy to invoke his name. Awesome. And with that, we'll get right into our opening tip and start with you, World B. Thank you, Ross. Uh, on Tuesday, the Knicks lost their captain with the passing of Willis Reed at age 80 of 80. Teammate Earl Monroe referred to Reed as, quote, our heart. There's probably no more beloved Nick in the history of the franchise than the captain who spent all 10 of his NBA seasons in a Nick uniform, winning the league's MVP award in 1970 along with the All-Star Game MVP and the NBA Finals MVP that season. He was the leader of the Knicks during their glory days of the early to mid-70s when they won the championship, their only championships in 1970 and 73. It was Reed that provided the NBA with one of its signature moments when he summoned up all the heart and courage that he could muster to bring himself and his one good leg out out of the locker room and on the court in Madison Square Garden for Game 7 of the 1970 NBA Finals, inspiring his teammates and energizing the home crowd, while at the same time leaving the Lakers players stunned in disbelief with what's going on. NBA fans know how the rest of the story goes on May 8, 1970. Reed hit his first two shots of the game, the only two he would hit, and the Knicks were off and rolling. It It was Walt Frazier that was the star of that game, with 36 points and 19 assists, but it was Reed's presence that sold the show and left an everlasting memory in the Knicks fans and NBA fans alike. It was simply the greatest moment in the history of the Knicks franchise, and there always will be debates on who the greatest Knicks player of all time was, and they're all uh, fair and fun to do, but there should never be any debate on who the greatest uh, franchise, who the franchise captain was. Because that was number 19. Well said, World B, and our thoughts and prayers go out to uh, the Reed family, as well as the Knicks organization and the NBA community during this time. Bruce, what do you have for an opening tip? Well, let me just tag on real quick about Willis Reed. There's such a thing that's known as a culture carrier. He was a culture carrier. He created it, he nurtured it, and he passed it on to all those Knicks that followed. So, yeah, even even a Celtics fan like myself can truly uh, understand the depth of his contribution. So, yeah, well done there, World Free. I think you did him, uh, World B, I think you did him justice. My opening comment has to do with my team, the Boston Celtics. They're a team with two superstars and a number of what I like to call superstar role players. One of them is Robert Williams III, also known as the Time Lord. Williams has always struggled to stay healthy. He's missed 44 of Boston's 73 games this season. And when he was injured on March 3rd and missed eight games, the team could only win four of them. And, you know, they slipped further behind the Bucs in the East. 
But he returned on Tuesday against the Kings, and his presence was felt immediately. He didn't put up big numbers, but you could see how he affected the team. His defense and the paint deterred easy buckets by the Kings, and his passing on the perimeter kept the ball moving and helped the offense look like it did in January and February when the Celtics were steamrolling opponents like a possible championship team. The Celtics struggled but hung in there when the Time Lord was hurt, but they looked like world beaters against a really solid Sacramento team. So if Williams can stay healthy the rest of the way, which is a big if, they'll be a very tough team to beat in the playoffs, Ross. Yeah, and I got to give a hat tip to you and uh, obviously congratulate you on that win. As I did say, they were going to be bragging bragging rights on the line. So uh, job well done by the Boston Celtics in Sacktown the other night. As for my opening tip, um, for all those Wordle fans out there, there are, of course, also NBA fans listening to our show, there is a NBA Wordle out on the streets now that I want to make, make sure you guys are bringing to your attention. And uh, that is called podal.dunk.town. So if you type that into your URL, you're going to be able to check that out. And um, one second here. I want to play along with you guys here tonight on tonight's Wordle. Um, Uh Let's get that up. Yeah. Hope you guys are ready for this. So the game gives you eight guesses and is a uh, vague outline. It also gives you the vague outline of a player profile picture all right and so as you guess the player it will tell you if you picked a a player on the right team in the right division in the right conference as well as their bio of position height age and jersey number so for fun um i'm going to leave it up to a competition between you bruce and world b to play alongside here and uh here's today's player and i'll tell you he's a he's in the western conference he plays in the pacific division He's a shooting guard. He's six foot seven. He's 24 years old. And he wears number nine. And he is on the Sacramento Kings. Any guesses? Uh, Kevin Herter. That is correct. Bruce with the, the win here in today's NBA Wordle. So go ahead and check that out, NBA fans. It's again, uh, Poto. Dot dunk dot town and it's NBA Wordle. So that is uh, the opening tip. And let's get right into our first quarter. We've got an action packed show here tonight. And we're going to first start off talking about returning stars in Carl Anthony Towns and John ja Morant. Bruce, why don't you lead us off? Well, Carl Anthony Towns returned to the Wolves on Wednesday against the Hawks and he had himself a game 22 points, the two clinching free throws in the final seconds and a post-game interview that can only be described as euphoric. I mean, he was on the uh, public address system talking to the uh, Bally Sports reporter. And, I mean, I have never seen anybody so fired up for a post-game interview in my life. The crowd was going nuts. It was the first time the Wolves had won a home game in, like, a while. So they were ready to explode. And, uh, look, I mean, Cat is a unique character, man. He's He's, he's a... I mean, he's an all-star player. He won the three-point shootout all-star weekend last year. I mean, this dude is a baller, and I'm excited to see what the Wolves can do. And, oh, by the way, Naz Reed also had an excellent game for those guys, too. He's rapidly becoming one of my favorite players for that team and around the league. Will be any takeaways from that game and Carl Anthony Towns' return? 
Well, you know, in 26 minutes, uh, Minnesota, when he was on the court, Minnesota outscored Atlanta by almost 20 points per 100 possessions. So he he's obviously uh, had a tremendous impact in this game. You expect that from a superstar like that. They were team high plus 13 when he was on the court. And, you know, which is it's hard to believe, but when before he got hurt and missed all that time, Minnesota was actually getting outscored for 100 possessions by just l- about a point for 100 possessions. When when uh, Carl Anthony Towns was on the court, that's a real weird thing for uh, to think about with such a great player. But, you know, they're going to need him. They got a, a humongous road test coming up uh, beginning Sunday where they go to Golden State, Sacramento, and Phoenix. So it's all, you know, this time of the year, it's all hands on deck out in the West. And, you know, they need – if there was ever a team that needed as many players as possible, it's Minnesota. Yeah, I totally agree. And kind of going back to you, Bruce, is talking about what a baller he is having won the three-point shootout. Uh, this guy has definitely got an ego, too. He said that he uh, crowned himself the best seven-foot shooter of all time uh, in that post-game interview after uh, winning the three-point event. So definitely does not lack any confidence, but a confidence and swagger that I think this, uh, this uh, Minnesota Timberwolves team is going to need down the stretch as there has been a lot of question marks surrounding this this group on whether or not they're even that competitive um, going down the stretch here. And I think he brought that boost of energy this team was missing. And uh, I think they're only going to get better once Anthony Edwards gets back into that mix along with Rudy Gobert. So um, I'm glad you pointed out Nas Reed too, because that was on uh, my list of notes to, to, to add. I mean, 26 points off the bench, 25 minutes. Hopefully he doesn't lose too much time because I think he brings such a different element uh, to that team when he's out there on the floor and he can kind of handle it too. I've been kind of surprised at how well uh, he handles the ball too uh, off the dribble. They got a couple of real badasses on their team, boy. I mean, Naz, I would definitely describe as a badass and Anthony Edwards too. Yeah, I mean, these guys are legitimately tough-minded, tough physical individuals. So I think there's a really, I mean, look, I think that Gobert trade will end up, you know, costing them in the long run because they gave up so much to get him. But, I mean, right now, uh, you don't want to play this team. I mean, who wants no. to play these guys? No. And they got Carl Anthony Towns with fresh legs. I mean, obviously, he's been uh, on the bench sideline, so he's uh, anxious to get back out there. By on the, the way, flip side, are, go ahead. By the way, are we, all, are we all in agreement now with Carl Anthony Towns? Saying he was the best seven foot outside shooter, three point shooter, whatever. Are we all in agreement now that Kevin Durant is under seven feet? Are we just going to call him six eleven or six? We, no. We're fair in doing that. Kevin no. Durant isn't seven foot. Is that what we're going with? Are we? <laughs> I, I think he's listed at six ten, isn't he? I, I mean, if you look heard on the roster, 10, I've heard seven foot. I've heard you know. So I'm assuming this means he's legitimately not seven feet. So there we go. We we at least solved one puzzle by by doing this. Well, I, I'm, assu- I, I'm assuming Cat doesn't know who Dirk Nowinski is because uh, I would take <laughs> Dirk an- over Cat. There, and there's other another one. There you go. Yeah, and he's seven and I, foot for sure. And I would, and I would. I mean, look, I know I'm going back a little bit on this one. Patrick Ewing used to be able to shoot it a little bit too. He wasn't shooting three pointers, but he would take it outside, and and he was pretty deadly from out there too. But not so much from threes. I don't think he really was yeah. a three point shooter. Yeah. We had one against the Celtics there in the playoffs, Bruce, back in 1990 in Game 5. That I can't hear you. I didn't think you could. 
Well, another notable star came back and returned in the Western Conference as well, and that was uh, John Morant. And uh, first question I have for you guys, and World B, I'll go ahead and start with you on this. Is there any point on bringing John Morant off the bench? I mean, is that really sending a message? What are your thoughts on Taylor Jenkins kind of starting him off the bench in his first game back? I Maybe he was looking to get some positive reinforcement as he comes in and gets the applause. I'm I'm assuming, you know, I'm assuming that was uh, that was one of the reasons. I mean, he didn't, you know, he didn't play a whole lot. So there, there was the way they're playing. There was no reason to keep him out of the starting lineup. But you know, he he had good numbers in what 24 minutes, 17 points, four rebounds, five assists. They were plus 11 when he was on the court. Uh, he he's one of the best guys at driving the ball to the basket in the league. But I think he's second behind uh, SGA in uh, drives per game at like 21. He only had 14, but in just 24 minutes, he didn't have a turnover on the drives. He, you know, so he still has that part of the game. He had the nice dunk that we saw on the one drive. He he still displayed his uh, three point prowess by going 0 for two from deep. So he still <laughs> got that part of his game. And uh, so it, it, you know, it's a welcome return for the Grizzlies, who just like Cat they. They need everybody they can get at this point. They're missing that one factor we talked about. We mentioned before Bruce and I have and Stephen Adams, but this is a, a big part of their uh, resurgence, if you will. When we did this show three days ago, Ross, you were sort of a little bit pissed off that he didn't play on Monday night because of conditioning. Yep. He looked like he was in pretty good condition on uh, on Wednesday night. Yeah. I mean uh, – he looked like his usual self. I mean, he didn't he didn't look any different than he did when he was, you know, doing his normal thing. And look, I mean, the Rockets aren't really a joke anymore. I mean, you have to no. play hard to beat those guys. I mean, look, their record's not good, but we've talked a number of times about how players don't tank, organizations tank. And these guys are, you know, these guys are are young and, and showing hunger. So John Morant's work product was never in doubt. The question is, did he get the wake-up call? And did he take it seriously? And he's saying all the right things. Is he now going to follow through? That remains to be seen. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, and yeah, I mean, look, when they get Steven Adams back, if they get Steven Adams back, um, they're formidable, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, you know, John Morant's in his third year in the league, or fourth year, I'm sorry, fourth year in the league. Um, still one of the younger players in this in this league. I think we definitely need to give him the benefit of the doubt. It's exciting for the game to have him back. Um, obviously, he's one of the biggest uh, jersey sales guys in the league and, and can definitely be a good role model uh, for kids with his game if he sticks to just on-the-court performances and doesn't have that carried off the floor. So really hoping that he learned his lesson here, and I definitely think he's going to, Obviously, played big dividends for the Grizzlies here down the stretch. Um, I I wouldn't be shocked if they pass my Sacramento Kings as far as just being the uh, top two scariest teams along with Denver going into the the playoffs. Uh, because I think just having a guy like him back and and now they've got some health with Desmond Bain. I think the sky's the limit once you also insert Stephen Adams, which you guys have been both very passionate about here this season. So. Um, Definitely things are looking up in Memphis here, and hopefully Adams will be back here shortly. 
As for our second quarter, I uh, wanted to discuss the Los Angeles Lakers. They are making quite a final push here. They're 6-4 and four in their last 10 games, including a big home win over the Phoenix Suns on Wednesday night. And, uh, Bruce, what are your thoughts on the Lakers down the stretch? I have so many thoughts about this team right now, uh, most of them good. Um, when they traded Russell Westbrook, they were 25-30. and 30. Since that trade, they're 11 and 7. Okay, that's number one. Sometimes we call that addition by subtraction. Okay. Um, LeBron James was injured on February 26th. The team was 29 and 32. Uh, they're over 500. They're 7 and 5 since he's been out in the 12 games he's missed. My big, big question. And I know you want to talk a little about Austin Reeves, and I think we'll give this yep. segment plenty of time to discuss that because there's a lot to talk about there. But here's what I want to see with LeBron. For his entire career, one of the reasons that I have always been such a huge fan of his was that as great a player as he was and in the way he can kind of do anything he wants on the court, he always wanted to empower his teammates and he always wanted to make them better. He would pass them, he would have confidence in them, whatever. But the way this team is going right now, he may have to sort of accept the fact that he's not the alpha dog now. Anthony Davis is looking like the alpha dog right now. And they're going to only go as far as Anthony Davis takes them. LeBron can be LeBron, but it, but Anthony Davis is the secret sauce for that team, really, if they're going to go far. So will he be willing to become Robin to AD's Batman? I'm wondering what you guys think about that. Will be? I mean, I think I think he uh, I think he will. I think he uh, would do that. I. I think they go as AD goes, but it's still going to revolve around LeBron. LeBron's going to have the ball in his hands. It'll be up to him uh, to, you know, be his decision, whether he wants it to be that way. I think he's always been a really good team player, so there's no reason to really expect it to go other any other way. Uh, you know, there's an amazing thing about the Lakers. If they, they have Oklahoma City on Friday, if they win that game, They'll be 500 for the first time all season. That's amazing. They're wow. 36 and 37 now. They haven't been 500 at any point all season. And they can get there, you know, by beating the Thunder in a huge game Friday for them. The, you know, they, 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 they won the close games. They've been in close games and they've won them. They, you know, this month, eight of 11 games have been within five points with five minutes to go. And, you know, they, they know how to play in these big games. They got their veterans to try and win it. Uh, I'm a been a fan of AD this month, where he's just he's stepped up when he's been on the court. We talked about him missing a couple games ago there, but you know this month he's 26 points, uh, 12 boards, shooting 55 percent from the field. He's even shooting 39 percent for three. But here's the big thing about him: he's he's taking just a little over one three per game. He's not taking a lot of threes. That's where his effectiveness is: taking the ball in the paint. And doing damage because he's got such an advantage with his quickness and his overall athleticism in that post. That's where and that's where he should be taking the ball, and that's where he is right now. And that's why he's been so effective this month, this season, really. Yeah, I'm actually going to counter that. Will be I think it's still LeBron's team, and I don't think he's willing to give it up. I think if anything, Anthony Davis is going to be LeBron's cop out at an end of the game. If you know he wants to pass it off for the. Last second shot, he's going to be like, here, AD, 
you're either going to win it for us or I can blame it on you. I think I just think LeBron's not willing to give up uh, that Batman role yet to become the Robin. Um, but Anthony Davis, as you said, I don't have to, you know, go ahead and reiterate it. He has been spectacular for this team. I think the reason they're so close to uh, reaching 500 for the first time all season long has been the emergence of Austin Reeves. I mean, this guy has become a breakout star there. He kind of reminds me a little bit of Kevin Herter, just doesn't shoot the volume of three-point shots. I mean, you look at this guy's last couple of games. He had 25 points in their last win, as I mentioned, against the Phoenix Suns at home. A big game for those guys. 25 points, but he also did it with 11 assists. Game before that, he had six assists against the Magic. And then uh, another big game on March 16th against Houston, he had seven assists. So he's doing a really good job distributing the ball, creating shots for others, and, and using his offense to obviously free up others around him as defenses have to hold him more accountable. So I've been I've been very pleased with Austin Reeves. I think he's certainly, certainly turning into quite a surprise uh, in a much-needed role for this Lakers team. Of course, he is under a rookie contract. This team doesn't have a ton of money. Um, and uh, certainly hope this is a guy they hold on to and learn their mistakes from letting Alec Caruso leave town. Bruce, what are your thoughts on uh, Austin Reeves? Well, you know, in the 12 games since LeBron went down, here are Austin Reeves' numbers. This is just in the 12 games. 18.3 points per game, all right? 56.7% field goal percentage, okay? 41% on threes, which means he's shooting 65.2% on two-point shots, which means he's like crushing it in the mid-range. Um, he's getting to the free throw line a ton. He's averaging seven and three-quarter free throw attempts per game. That's a boatload of free throw attempts for a guy like Austin Reeves. And he's making them at about just under 84%. So this guy... His emergence as a starter has, you know, has moved Beasley back to the bench. Dennis Schroeder's coming off the bench. These guys, all of a sudden, they've got a bunch of lethal guards on their team. Schroeder's averaging 12. Malik Beasley's averaging over 11. D'Angelo Russell on Wednesday night had 26 points. Now, you you mentioned earlier that um, LeBron's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. I think the guy who's going to have a problem is D'Angelo Russell because he's gotten very comfortable in that point guard role for these guys, and they've been winning. So now all of a sudden, and we know that he has a tendency to be a little bit of a knucklehead sometimes. Yeah. So we'll see what happens with, with D'Angelo Russell when all of a sudden either his minutes are going to go down, which I would imagine they will, uh, and his touches are going to go down. And we'll, you know, we'll keep an eye on that situation a little bit. But you're totally correct. Ross, Austin Reeves has just been a real revelation for that team. And you mentioned D'Angelo Russell. The thing that really concerns me moving forward once LeBron comes back and the ball's in his hands, Austin Reeves is getting the ball a little bit more. Russell's defense is already very questionable. How committed is he going to be to the other end if he's not being involved in the offense? I mean, that's going to be really fun to watch because I, I just don't – I see him quitting if he's not – being invested on the offensive side of the ball. So uh, major concern there with D'Angelo Russell, but uh, seeing the emergence of Austin Reeves, of course, we've talked a ton about Jared Vanderbilt. Uh, even, you know, he doesn't put up always the, the sexiest numbers, but that guy is effective out there. Uh, they, they've got some real pieces here, and it uh, looks like they're going to be 
uh, well suited for a play in spot here if they can get a big win over Oklahoma City. And oh, let me m- make sure I mention the next two games after OKC are against Pat, Be- Pat Bev and the Chicago Bulls. So that, that in itself should be a lot of fun, too. I would like to say they have three big games coming up. <laughs> and with that, we've reached our halftime buzzer. So we'll take a quick break and come back with you for the second half. And we're back with the start of our second half here. And for our third quarter, let's talk about Miami because they are definitely heating up here, having won seven of their last 10 games. Bruce? Well, seven of those 10 were at home. Okay. And uh, so that was definitely to their advantage. Um, They're definitely, you know, in fact, uh, Brooklyn was beaten on Thursday evening uh, by Cleveland. So now Miami is actually past them by a half a game. So as we put this thing to tape on Thursday night, Miami is now up to the sixth spot. Um, they're a really weird team. They have three 20-point scorers on their team. They have Jimmy Butler. They have Bam Adebayo. They have Tyler Hero. So they got, you could call it a big three, but, you know, they're all averaging 20-plus. But they're a horrible offensive team. They're, like, dead last in the league in points scored. But here they are now, like, you know, six, seven games over 500, starting to play good ball uh, when it matters the most. So we talk a lot about teams that have an identity and a culture. This team has an identity and they have a culture because what you're seeing, how can they how can they be successful when they their offense is so bad? Well, they they get to the free throw line, okay? So even though they don't make a lot of buckets, they get to the free throw line. They're number two in the league in free throw attempts. And as a team, they make 83%, which is number two in the league. Um, They are not a good rebounding team. They're 28th in total rebounds, but they allow the fewest offensive rebounds by opponents in the NBA, which means when they have a defensive possession, they secure the ball and they don't give up these easy put-back points. So... They're, they're second best in the league in, in uh, points allowed. Only Cleveland allows fewer. Uh, they clear they take care of the defensive glass. They get to the free throw line. So they do the little things uh, that helps you win those close games at the end. And by the way, Eric Spolstra, he's going to the Hall of Fame. I mean, he's a yeah. Hall of Fame. So Miami is, I don't know if they've got enough to really make a big move in the postseason, but Again, a team that you know you're – I mean, they will never be swept in a series no matter how much better the other team's record is. They'll make any series go six games even if they don't win. Yeah, too much heart there. And one thing that I've always kind of recognized with the Miami Heat, even as they stand here today, is they can trap teams into to playing sloppy, ugly basketball. might not be the prettiest game to watch – but that's kind of what they try to tempt you into, making it a sloppy game, keeping it close. And then down the stretch, they do have their closers. I mean, Jimmy Butler, in my opinion, is a closer. They've got Bam Adebayo, who's a defensive closer and turning into becoming an offensive closer. And then in a playoff series, they've got Kyle Lowry. I mean, he could string together a couple of good games based on his veteran playoff experience. And then they've got the shooters. You mentioned Tyler Hero. They've got Max Struess. Uh, Gabe Vincent's another guy that's played some big minutes for them this year. 
they're, they're a team I would not want to face in the first round because, like, I, I just think they can make a, se- a series very ugly. And I agree with you, Bruce. I think it would go six at minimum. I think they're just the type of team that plays too hard, uh, has too much heart, and, and won't go down easy. And if games turn ugly, I think that plays to their advantage. What's your thoughts, World B? Well, let's not forget, this was a team that reached the finals just a few seasons ago with the, the same group of players only improved really. Tyler Hero is a much better player. Bam hasn't gotten any worse. Jimmy Butler has been as steady as ever. So they, they're big guys. They're still there, and they're still, uh, they still have the championship experience. The biggest thing for me with the Miami Heat, they're hitting three pointers. They were, they were one of the worst teams. They were the best team in the league last year hitting threes. At the All Star break, they were one of the worst. They were twenty eighth in three point percentage. Now during the last thirteen games, they're hitting almost thirty nine percent of their threes. That's huge for them, for a team that is good at every every other, not every other uh, aspect, but so many other aspects of their game. Three-point shooting was a miserable uh, part of their game for most of the season. And Jimmy Butler is putting in one of the great runs here to close out the season that isn't getting talked about. Last 25 games, he's averaging about 25 points a game, six boards, five assists, one and a half steals, He's shooting 55% from the field, and he's shooting 42% from three, and he 85% from the line. And he gets to the line almost 10, about 10 times a game. You talked about uh, Austin Reed getting to the line. Jimmy Butler knows exactly how to get to the line as well as anybody in the league, and he's doing it, and he's hitting 85%. He stays healthy. He hasn't missed a game since the late January. So he's played about 25 in a row with all this uh, time management, load management, all this stuff. He's playing every game, and he's putting up the numbers every night. And he beat the Knicks on Wednesday night. I think they cheated, but I really haven't figured out just how yet. (laughs) I'm I'm still working on it. But that's a big win for them, and they got another matchup uh, coming up later uh, before the season's over in in Madison Square Garden. So that could end up being a huge game for that fifth spot, it turned out, the way Hyde is turning in the Eastern Conference. Their top three players – have such complementary skills what they what they bring out there. You mentioned Butler. The guy's a, a mid-range wizard, almost on a level of, of DeMar DeRozan, which is one of the reasons that he gets to the free throw line so much. He's not out there jacking up threes. He's working in the paint, and he gets fouled, and he knows how to get fouled. Bam Adebayo, as you mentioned, is probably the top defensive center in the league right now, but he's also a guy that the offense runs through quite frequently. He makes really good decisions with the ball in his hands, and he's super aggressive and and a very heads-up player. And Tyler Hero is just simply a bucket. I mean, he's their best three-point shooter. He can be one for 12, and if he has the ball in the final seconds of the game, he wants the shot. He's not going to be one of these guys looking to pass it to somebody. He'll take that shot. And and he's very very good in those situations. So um, you know, good good you know good on them. I mean, look, I don't want to play them in the postseason. If it, if they end up with the sixth spot and Philadelphia ends up in the three spot, um, you know, I, again, Miami gets at least two games in that series, and who knows? I mean, it's it's uh, you know they they don't back down from anybody. Nope. You play Miami, you're in for a dogfight. So uh, should be interesting to see how that plays out as far as matchups are concerned. But as we head into our fourth quarter here, let's discuss the mayhem out West. And uh, Bruce, I'll go ahead and start with you yet again to kind of break down what we have going on in the Western Conference. Well, let me start with 
the injury to Paul George, PG-13, uh, injured on Tuesday, is likely out until the postseason, if there is a postseason for the Clippers at this point. They're fifth right now, but they're only two games in the loss column ahead of number 11, Utah, okay? So I don't know how they're going to replace his two-way skills. I mean, really, because of all the games that Kawhi Leonard has missed this year, I mean, he's their MVP. He's not replaceable. He, You know, there's nobody that's going to step into his shoes. So it's going to really be a, 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 a tough assignment for those guys to to, to maintain uh, not only the, the, the fifth spot, but the sixth spot maybe even the seventh or the eighth spot. I mean, I hope they can. I think, you know, I know World B has been a big fan of the Clippers all season long, and I want to see that team make the playoffs. Uh, But you know what? I mean, this guy is not going to be easily replaced, World. No, he's not. It absolutely is not. Uh, They could easily fall into that uh, mayhem that is the play-in field, the battle for the play-in thing. I mean, think about this. Entering Thursday, Nine teams, four through 12, were separated by just three games in the loss column. And six through 12, which is seven teams, were separated by just one game in the loss column. It's an amazing thing that nobody has really stepped forward and taken control, or at least established themselves as a, you know, separate themselves from the rest of the pack. They're all in here. Think about this. This is a kind of an unbelievable thing how much it changes. In, after games on Sunday, last Sunday, the play-in field was Golden State, Oklahoma City, the Lakers, and Minnesota, with Utah and the Pelicans out. After Monday, it became Dallas, Minnesota, Oklahoma City, and Utah in, with the Lakers and the Pelicans out. After Tuesday, it was Dallas, Oklahoma City, Minnesota, Utah, the Lakers and Pelicans again out. And after games on Wednesday, it was Minnesota, then Oklahoma City, then Dallas, then the Lakers, with Utah back out again, and the Pelicans. We keep mentioning the Pelicans are out, but they're they're like a game away, one good two-game win streak away from being in. So it's just an amazing we – t- we've talked about this for weeks now. This isn't just something that's happened. We saw it coming. We just kept waiting for a team or two to go on a run. And, All right, we eliminate them. And it's just not happening, and it's great. I love it. It's well, Golden, a State's game. Got a big, Golden State's got a big two-game winning streak on the road, Russ. So maybe yeah, they're it, taking control. Yeah, it's been a big, fun game of musical chairs, if you ask me. They just keep playing musical chairs with that play-in, and it's almost like a uh, a Powerball. Who's in tonight? Who's out the next night? Um, you literally have to watch the standings and wake up every morning or whatever and look at the standings to see where the position is because it will change. Yeah, and uh, – I, I will say, Bruce, going back to the Paul George injury, one thing that the Clippers do have that I've talked about this year is they do have some depth, especially at the wing position. I even asked Ohm when we had him on it uh, from ESPN uh, in regards to that wing depth of why didn't they try to get another center? Well, now it seems like it makes sense. Terrence Mann's going to have to play better. They got to get Norman Powell back, which I believe he should be back here very soon. So that will be a welcome uh, back addition to that team. And then they're going to need to get some big contributions from Amir Coffey. Amir Coffey's been a guy that's been in and out of that rotation. He's probably going to pick up some heavier minutes here here soon. And then, of course, 
Kawhi Leonard's got to step up and continue to be available for games. But uh, overall, yeah, the P- the PG news is is scary, and uh, I wouldn't be too surprised if they missed the playoffs, if you ask me, because I think Paul George is that important to that team. Now, I do want to ask you both here, uh, as we look at the, the Western Conference standings, as far as the Sacramento Kings are concerned, I would argue that they're in one of the best positions because they've been healthy all year, they know who they are, and they've been probably the most consistent Western Conference team this year. Do you agree or disagree with that take? How can you not agree with that? I mean, it's it's clearly the case. I mean, they have a little bit of everything. I mean, they've got a, you know, let, let's start with their coach, okay? Mike yeah. Brown has coached in the finals. He's coached in the playoffs. He's been the number one assistant to Steve Kerr for, you know, a number of championship seasons, okay? They've got a mini- Jokic at center in Domantas Sabonis, who's the closest thing to Jokic you're going to see right now in the NBA. Okay. Um, they've got, you know, veteran guys like Harrison Barnes. They don't have playoff experience as a group, but they have a lot of individual guys who have playoff experience. Um, they've got guys coming off the bench, you know, Malik Monk, Davion Mitchell, they're good players. Uh, they kind of got their butts kicked the other night by Boston. But, you know, Herter didn't, Kevin Herter didn't play in that game. And, you know, you can have a stinker of a game once in a while. I mean, you know, Boston was just on its game that night. So I would agree with you. I think, as, as we've discussed before, and I'm sure World has numbers to back this up, defensively their numbers don't look great because they give up a lot of points, but they also score a lot of points. So I think some of that defensive numbers is a little bit, you know, um, a result of the fact that they like to play at a fast pace, run up and down the court, put up a lot of points. So, you know, generally you're not going to be allowing the fewest points in the league when you play with such pace. No, that's true. And I would, uh, I would agree with that. I think there's different philosophies that you can have. There's only three teams that rank in the top 10 in offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency. It's the Cavaliers, the Celtics and the 76ers. So after that, it's it's which style you're going to play. You're going to play like the Kings, and you're going to give up on defense, or you're going to play another style. You know, you're going to play more defensive, and like the Milwaukee Bucks, basically for most of the season, and give up a little bit on the offensive end. So yeah, there's only there's only three teams that are that consistent, and the rest are playing one way or the other. I would disagree, though, and I would say in terms of the most consistent team in the West from start to finish, I'd say it's Denver. I know they haven't had a good run of late, but when was the last time they were out of first? When was the last time they were seriously challenged for first place? It's been a long time. So they had a little bit of a slump in March, in the beginning of March, where they lost, what, five in a row, four in a row? And they have, you know, there are some uh, problem areas or there's some worrisome areas if you are a fan of the Nuggets about going forward. And they will have a a lot of pressure on them, probably more pressure than anybody to get to the finals based on having potentially the three-time MVP in Jokic and just the fact that they've had so many good seasons and haven't really had anything to show for it. But from start to finish in the West, I'd say it'd be Denver. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue against the record. I think the two things holding me back on the Denver Nuggets is Michael Porter Jr. Mm -hmm. and and where he's at in the graces of Mike Malone or maybe even just his – game-to-game performances. And then the other one would be even my own guy, Aaron Gordon. Got off to a very hot start to start the season. I was arguing he should have been an all-star. 
He's had a back and forth second half of the season. So those are the two guys that are very important factors to that team that I'm not 100% sold on what they'll be like come playoff time. And, uh, you know, I, I agree. Uh, obviously, with the Sacramento Kings, they know their they know their flaws in the defense. They love to play at a fast pace. But as you mentioned, Bruce, uh, by by honoring uh, Sabonis with the nickname, you know, Mini Joker, uh, if they do have to slow the pace down and play a half court set, it's nice to have Sabonis kind of being the initiator of that offense, being such a good passer, a guy that can play at a slower rate of speed as well, and and kind of adjust just like. Jokic himself. I mean, I think having having Sabonis as your main key offensive piece, the the center guy that you can work your offense around with Fox. I I think if if the if the pace of a playoff game slows down, the Kings will still be in good shape. And and you just mentioned De'Aaron Fox for the first time in this discussion. I mean, yeah. I mean that dude is spectacular. I mean, you know, so at, at any given time, particularly late in games, he could just like detonate and explode for you know eight ten twelve points in a hurry so uh yep. they've got they've got a little bit of everything i mean they've got a nice home court advantage they've got great fans so um yeah i mean look um they're you know they've been excellent all year yeah so. i i'm a big i'm a big fan of darren fox down the stretch i i've been so impressed with him this season i think you know he's fourth quarter fox that's his nickname now and in the playoffs you need a guy we were just talking about how Jimmy Butler is the closer with the with the Heat. Well, in Sacramento, when the game is tight or you need points to stop a rally or start a rally, you give it to De'Aaron Fox. He's been the go guy in the fourth quarter. So they have that that piece of, of the game that they have. They have a score in the fourth quarter when you need it to go along with the rest of their uh, players. So, yeah, they, there's a lot to like about Sacramento. They, my comment about Denver had nothing to do with the fact that I'm not – a Kings fan because I am and uh, I'm not necessarily even that big of a Nuggets fan in terms of going forward in the postseason I was just saying from start to finish they've been the most consistent team but if you get to a seven game series right now I bet you more people would take uh, the Kings than would take uh, Denver you think so wow I think so I mean, the way they're playing right now absolutely Denver's yeah. so good at home though I mean as long as they have the home court they're going to, you know, that's a, that's a, I mean, the that's Denver true. home court is a bigger home court advantage than most anyone else's home court, of course, because of playing in the altitude. Yep. Good point there, Bruce. So buckle up NBA fans, the Western conference musical chairs will continue here. until the very end of this season. And with that, this is a perfect segue talking about the Kings. Let's get to my best bets. And tonight I'm going to oh, share oh, my oh, 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 oh. Time, can I call a timeout here? Timeout, yep. I want to hear from you guys about what happened in that Dallas Golden State game oh, with that crazy oh, that's situation right. yeah. at the end of the, you know, towards the end. How messed up was that? I mean, I've watched that thing a bunch of times, and yeah. I have a, from my original observation about what happened there, I now have a totally different observation about what happened there. Dallas needs to shut up. They screwed up. It's their fault that that happened. It's not the referee's fault that that happened. Their coaching staff needs to shoulder some of the blame for that because if you go back and look at it, the referee pointed um, Golden State ball. Then he pointed to Dallas because they called a timeout. Golden State knew where to be after the timeout. 
Why didn't Dallas know where to be after the timeout? Mark Cuban, I love him. Uh, he's probably one of my favorite owners. He's a wonderful human being. I have total respect for him. But he should be, you know, talking to his coaching staff about that, not protesting that game, which, by the way, he won't win that protest, fellas. What do you all think about that old deal? Dallas fell asleep. I mean, that's just how it, they fell asleep. How how can they argue the situation that they thought it was their ball or something like that? They were all down at the other end. Yep. There wasn't one person. If they thought it was their ball, there's somebody to inbound the ball and there's somebody to catch the inbound. Nobody was there. Everybody was down at the other end of the court because they thought exactly how it was. So I don't I don't know where they I don't know where they exactly have the argument here with this. They fell asleep. At the end of the day, they can put it everybody, players, coaches, whatever, fell asleep. Weren't paying somebody wasn't paying not one person was paying attention to what was going on. Totally agree with you there. I mean, you gotta know two things. Who are you guarding? One. And maybe more importantly, where's the basketball? Well, wouldn't you just follow you got to read the room a little bit here, right? Like the ball's down there. The referee's holding it here. All the refs are positioned down there. It's like, hello, somebody wake up here. So silly protest. Obviously someone fell asleep. Nothing's going to happen with this one, but definitely a very odd situation. And uh, good challenge by Bruce there to call the quick timeout to be sure we, we did discuss that on tonight's <laughs> show. So well done there, Bruce. No and, problem uh, at all. Happy to help. <laughs> and with that, we'll now get into my best bets here, and I'll share my favorite Sacramento Kings same game parlay. It has four legs, so it's keeping things very short and sweet here. Uh, Sabonis, you can add him for 15 points. He's done that in eight of his last 10 games. I like Sabonis for five assists, in which he's done that in nine of his last 10 games. Uh, Keegan Murray, two three-pointers. He's done that in seven of his last 10 games. And lastly, just to kind of boost it into the plus odds here, Darren Fox, fourth quarter Fox, for one three-pointer. He's done that in seven of 10 games. He's a little hit or miss with that, but you got to throw some odds out there to get something in return. So that is my four-leg same-game parlay for the Sacramento Kings. And with that, we'll get right into our final thoughts. And Bruce, We'll start off with you. Thank you, Ross. The Philadelphia 76ers have been on fire for three straight months. Since December 9th, they're 37 and 11. That is the best record in the league during that stretch. Joel Embiid is favored by many to win the MVP, and James Harden has transformed his game for the better. Doc Rivers has always known how to coach stars, and he's got those two performing at peak level. There are a lot of quality teammates with the big two. Tobias Harris looks the best he has in years. Tyrese Maxey and DeAnthony Melton are playing great. But as hot as the Sixers have been, they're living in a tough neighborhood with Boston and Milwaukee. And they're going to need a serious closing kick if they want the number two spot in the East. I think their next three games are going to show us who they are. Friday, they're at Golden State, where the Dubs rarely lose. Then a back-to-back -back on Saturday in Phoenix. And after an off day on Sunday, they're at Denver on Monday, Jokic versus Embiid, where the altitude is always a challenge, as we mentioned before, especially for a team playing its third game in four days. They can't afford to go 0-3. 1-2 would suck a bit less, but would be understandable. 
Two and one would mean that second place is still in the mix. And three and oh would mean that we're looking at a serious championship contender and a probable MVP if he if Embiid outplays Jokic. Totally agree with you there, Bruce. Good points. World B. The New York Knicks. I started with the story about the great Willis Reed. I'm going to end with a story about the current state of the Knicks, which is uh, not good at the moment. With Thursday's loss to the Magic, they are now 3-6 and six in the last uh, nine games following the nine-game winning streak. And the number five spot, which they seem, seem so secure, is not definite anymore. We used to think with the Knicks, could they possibly get to the fourth spot? Well, now we have to worry with New York as whether they can maintain the fifth spot, and in which case, can they actually even hold on to the sixth spot the way things are going? We thought they had a schedule that was favorable down the stretch when they have to play coming up Houston, Miami at home. They have Cleveland coming up. They have Washington. They have two versus Indiana and another against the Pelicans. Everything seemed favorable from their end, but all of a sudden, a loss at on the road to Orlando on Thursday leaves everything up in the air. So while the Knicks are having a good season, having a winning season once again under Tom Thibodeau, nothing's guaranteed for this team coming down the stretch. Well said there, world. And uh, for my final thought, I got one that's close to my heart. I want to give some love and a special birthday shout out to my daughter, Kenzie, who turns one today. And boy, does time fly. I feel like it wasn't that long ago. I was texting you, Bruce, about having to cancel an upcoming ColorCast NBA broadcast that we planned on doing together. Uh, She's been growing up way too fast, and I'm certainly lucky to be her father. Uh, The scouting report on her after year one is that she can brighten anyone's day with her nonstop smiling face, and she's never met a meal that she didn't like. So happy birthday, Kenzie, and your dad loves you. And Happy birthday, Kenzie. (laughs) When does dad dad buy her the Nerf hoop for the living room? Oh, we already got that. Don't worry about that. That's that's already installed. Dad dad (laughs) plays with it all the time. It's my favorite toy. (laughs) (laughs) but with that that will do it for this edition of the 48 minutes podcast on believe thanks for tuning in and we'll be back with you next week to be sure you're up to date in 48 on all things around the association have a great weekend everybody